Okay, let's get started. Shmos, Tav Shin Ayin Hey. We start a new Sefer, Baruch Hashem, and we start off with a Penine HaTorah, a pearl of the Torah, right here in source number one, and then we will get into introductions to the, to the Sefer. So we start off with a Rashi. Let's get things started. Perek Beis Pasik Aleph. And this, of course, is the beginning of the story of Moshe Rabbeinu. The Perak tells us in the beginning of Perak Base, a man goes from the house of Levi, and he takes a Bas Levi. No names given. The first name we come into contact with, the first name besides the Shvatim that we come into contact with is Moshe Rabbeinu. The Torah doesn't want anything mentioned, uh, any one mentioned before Moshe. So, says Rashi, as we know, Amram had separated from his wife because of the Gzeira of Paro. So, he took, he retook, he retook his wife. And also, miraculously, Yocheved became young again, became a Nara. She was 130 years young. Shenolda bebolim Israel ben Achomos. As we know, if you do the math back in Parshas Vayigash, it only adds up to how many? Not seventy. Even though it says Shivim Nafes, you have to add on Yochevich that was Nolda ben Achomos. You have to add on Yosef and his sons that were in Mitzrayim. Altogether, you get seventy. But she was born right then. So I'll do the math: one hundred and thirty years. Matayim ve'Eser Shana Nishtausham, and they were there two hundred and ten. And when Moshe Rabbeinu when you see the Shrayim Moshe Rabbeinu was 80, because he was 120 at the end of the 40 years. So do the math. Yocheved, who was born on the way in, was 130 years old. That's Rashi. Rashi just does the math for us. The Ramban already asks, not the Ramban here, the Ramban back in Parshas Vayigash asks, one minute, so, um, Yocheved was 130 years old? So why doesn't the Torah make a big deal about that? The Torah makes such a big deal by Sarah Imenu. When she was Choseris Lenarusa, when she goes back to being young to be able to have a child, the Torah is very specific and very illustrative. And yet here, Yocheved was even older, 130 years old. Not a word. Not a word. It's not so exciting. That's the Ramban's Kasha Barkin Vayigash. But if you have in source number one, the Dubna Magid also dealt with that question. The Yesh Lahav in line three. Lama Mesupar Why is this question thrown in? You know, the Torah doesn't even relate to it. This is so supernatural. You would think such a miraculous event would get some press time in the Torah. That was an unbelievable nace. Sarah was 90. She was 40 years younger. And yet here the Torah does not mention it. Says the Dubna Magad, I'll give you a mashal. Give you a mashal as is his wont. His Beramagad mi Dubna Dabar Zalpi mashal. Shnei Evyonim Nizdam Nu Yachad Baderach. There were two poor people that were traveling on the road together and they met each other. They were talking about a certain city. How do you do in that city? You know, you make some money in that city. They give, are they stingy in that city? Are they, uh, uh, do they give a lot? So they were talking about it. Shabbat keeps on the devout. Echadi ber bishvachim shal bnei ha'ir sheim balit stuck of in a divelev. One of them said, "Oh, that city, city's amazing. They give me so much. It's always such a pleasure. I don't even have to ask, and they're throwing money at me. They just see me." Vi'ilah sheni tzavach v'yamar. And the second city, the second person, the second ani says, "What are you talking about? Sheim kamtsanim mushba'im. They're sworn misers." I've never gotten a penny from them. And they're trying to figure this out. Is the city miserly or is the city It comes out in the end. They were talking about two different times. The first Ani was there on Purim. They're a Purim, of course they're benevolent. Everybody's benevolent. Everybody gives. It's no wonder. That everybody gave. The Shani, that we was there on a regular day, a regular gray day, nobody was interested. Says the Dubna Magid, as we know from the other Rashi, the beginning of this week's Parsha, 
Yes, it was a tremendous miracle. 130 years old. But you know what? There were plenty of miracles going on. All the women were having six babies at once. 60 babies at once. Shishim Bekerazachad. You're going to make a big deal about this? The whole time period was miraculous. So this isn't something specific to of note. It was all nace, right? Paro was subjugating them and punishing them and torturing them. And they were strong. That Yocheved gave birth at age 130. At the time of Avram Avinu, Olam Nobody was given birth at the age of 90, and therefore the Torah has to emphasize it. That's the Dubna Magid that gives us a little background as to answer the Ramban's Kasha back in Vayigash. Okay, so now we get to Parshas and Sefer Shmos. As we mentioned, this is the Sefer of Moshe Rabbeinu, the beginnings of Moshe Rabbeinu. As we know, Moshe Rabbeinu is mentioned in every single Parsha, from now to the end of the Torah, except for Parshas Tetzaveh. This is it. He is the greatest leader of that we've ever had. One of the Animamins. Moshe is unique. So we've never done it before, so let's now delve into it. The introduction of the Meshachachma to Sefer Shmos, where he deals with the uniqueness of Moshe Rabbeinu. And what was it about Moshe that gave him such koach? How could we actually describe the level that he reached? This is one of the Yud Gimeli Karim, so we should focus on this. Now, the uniqueness of Moshe, we know the Rambam discusses the four differences between the Nevuah of Moshe Rabbeinu and the Nevuah of other Nevi'im. Other Nevi'im had to wait till Hashem started the Nevuah. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, he knocks on Hashem's door, so to speak, whenever he wants. He had clarity, he was awake. Right? Many differences between the Moshe and the others. But how did he reach that level? How do we describe that level? Those differences of the Rambam are differences within his Nevuah, describing the differences in his Nevuah and other Nevi'im's Nevuah. But what about reaching that level and the description of his level? Says the Meshachach. We're not going to read the whole thing, but we'll uh, read bits and, par- bits and pieces. Nevuas Moshe hulamalami nevuas kolanevi'im. The prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu is the greater than all, other, all the Nevi'im. Shenevuas kulam huapi os umofes. You know why it's qualitatively different, Moshe Rabbeinu and all other Nevi'im? Because all other Nevi'im, the basis of our belief is, yes, they bring people closer to Hashem and their Makari, but they also perform miracles. And those miracles add to our, and they contribute to, our belief in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that they are Navi Emes. But if that's part of our belief in all the Navi Emes, it's not an objective, eternal belief. One day, maybe it could be undermined. Or there was one Navi that tells us that this, a, a Navi Muchzak, he's already a Navi, that this is another Navi. Again, that's not an eternal status. The Torah says, listen to a Navi who acts in a certain way. Just like, and this is the Rambam's comparison, just like we are told to listen to two witnesses that give testimony in court, do we know that the witnesses are telling the truth? No, we don't know for sure, but we cross-examine them and we do our research and the Torah says, trust them, even though we don't know for sure. Same thing with the Navi. The Rambam has that comparison. We don't know for sure if this is a Navi MS, maybe he's making the whole thing up and he's a magician, but this is what the Torah says to do. That's by all other Navi. Locain line 11, Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu is different. Moshe Rabbeinu, he's the only one called Rabbeinu. Shekal Yisrael Shamu Shekadosh Baruch Hu Medaber Lemosha Panim Al Panim. We saw, not just we believe, we saw that Hakadosh Baruch Hu spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu at Har Sinai. V'kulam Higiul Lamalas Hanavua, and all of Am Yisrael reached levels at Har Sinai that we have never reached since. Hashem allowed us to see what we've never seen. The Gemara describes in Shabbos that after each one of the Dibros, we died. We couldn't handle it by the first two. That's why we said, Hashem, forget it. We can't deal with this. Let Moshe tell us. Because that experience was, was an outer of this world experience. 
even outer body experience. But that's what happened at Harsinai. We saw that Moshe was a Navi, and we didn't just believe. That's what he says in Yisro. Hashem says, Moshe, I'm going to come down in my cloud, and I'm going to talk to you. Why? So that they believe in you forever. You, it has to be this way. Why? Because the Torah is eternal. And Moshe is giving us the Torah. As Malachi describes, Zichru Torahs Moshe Avdi. Moshe is inextricably linked to the Torah. If the Torah is eternal, Moshe has to be eternal. And our Amuna in Moshe has to be eternal. So it can't just be based on Osos and Mosim. It's got to be something deeper. And that is why HaKadosh Baruch Hu did that at Harsinai in order to prove to us, not even prove to us, show us the status of Moshe Rabbeinu. She calls Masha Aminu Mitzada Osos, Kmobe Mitzrayim, all the time in Mitzrayim. What made Amisro believe? Remember this week's Parsha? Oh, the snake and the hand, all the Osos. Even Moshe Rabbeinu did Osos. But from Harsinai on, no more Osos. From Harsinai on, it's unique. When it comes to other Nevi'im, so, they could be undermined. Line 19, not now. Even if a hundred thousand Nevi'im come and tell us, Moshe is wrong, Moshe is, is not, the, not the MS, we throw them out. All 100,000. Lo nishmalo. Umitzvah lahamisam. And there's a mitzvah to kill them because they are Nevi'e Sheker. Because Moshe Rabbeinu is unique. The experience at Harsinai proved to us the gam b'cha ya'aminu lo'olam. We say it every morning. Vayaminu b'ashem uvamosha avdo. The question is, that was at Kriyas Yamsa. That was not at Harsinai. Maybe that was um, a, a level towards. But it wasn't ultimate until the Gambacha Yaminu Laola. Fine. But now the Meshachachma says, but wasn't Moshe still human? Was he still he was still a human being? Wasn't he? Top of the next column. In Cain. Hashem made him eternal because the Torah is eternal. But how did he become eternal? In Cain. Hashem Moshe. How how did Hashem command us and tell us? The ha we know. Hashem's foreknowledge does not impact the fact that we have free choice. We don't fully understand how that is, but we know it's true. Bechira Chavshis and Hashem's knowledge. Asks the Meshachachma then, we have to believe in Moshe, but did Moshe not have Bechira anymore? Did Moshe not have free choice? We should say it, but he says, maybe Moshe would go off the derech at some point. Maybe Moshe would do something wrong and, and throw it. Right? We know that Gemara tells us in Brachas there was a Kohen Gadol that after 80 years threw it away. So maybe, if you can even say the words, maybe Moshe Rabbeinu. So how could Hashem say, you have to believe in him, it's one of the tenets of the faith, that's it. Period. Well, how, do, how can we say that about any human being? So here the Meshachachma talks about his uniqueness. The Al-Karach in line 8, Sha'ashem Yisbarach, Shalal Mimenu Habachira Legamre. V'nishar Muchrach Kemalachim. Says the Meshachachma, an idea rooted in the Ramban already in Parshas Bracious. The Meshachachma says, ironically, the highest level that a human being could reach, and remember, we are the Bechir HaNivra'im, we are the only creature in all of creation that has free choice. The angels, the sun, the moon, the stars, and the animals, and the insects, nothing. The ultimate purpose of the universe of, of creation were for, was for a human being to make a proper decision. That's the ultimate purpose. When we follow HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that is what Hashem wants from us. But you know what, says the Meshachachma, is the ultimate level that we can reach? when we condition and train ourselves not to have Bechira. That's the highest level. When everything is so clear to us, if, Bar- if we felt like Akadosh Baruch Hu in the room with us, so then there's nothing to talk about. We would do everything perfectly. The problem is we forget that we don't realize it, as we'll talk more about Hashem later. But 
Says the Meshachachma, that's the ultimate and that's the level that Moshe Rabbeinu reached. The level that he didn't have Bechira anymore because it was so clear. The ultimate, line 10, the ultimate goal of life is free choice. Because if he wouldn't have free choice, then we're no different than the animals. But the greatest level is when it becomes so clear that we reach the level that we don't have free choice. Like in the womb. Right before we're born, we don't have free choice. That's the ultimate level. Rav Yeruchim, in one, one of his uh, Mamarim, gives a mushal. He says, you have free choice to walk into a house that's burning down, but I'm not going to, because it's so clear to me. I have free choice, but I don't have free choice. The ultimate level is to look at the Dvar Hashem, like that burning house. It's what I have to do. It's as if I don't have free choice. Turning the page now, again, there's a lot more here, but we're... Just going to read parts of it, where it's underlined. Moshe Rabbeinu worked on himself so much until he got to that level. And then HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, okay, you're here? So now, that's why he was Parishman Isha, that's why Hashem needed him in that state. Once he became in that state by himself, so then Hashem somewhat solidified that state. And that's the So Moshe is eternal. Yes, every human being has free choice. But when it comes to Moshe, he had free choice up until a time. And then somewhat Hashem solidified. Was he chote? He was chote. So you see there was something there later on with the hitting the rock, whatever the chate was. But says the Meshachachmah, And that's the Iker Tachlis Ho'enoshi to reach the level that free choice somewhat is is taken away. And again, skipping down, maybe we have this for a moment, he describes, at Harsinai, but obviously didn't stay there because that's not the purpose of life, to lose, to have it lost. But that's what he means, after Harsinai. What does Hashem tell, and Moshe tell us, line 38, Go back to your tents, go back to your life. Go back to your daily activities with Bechira Chavshis. Moshe, Modi Madi. But you've reached this level, you're staying at this level, you're staying with me because I need that. Because you are part of the process. You are part of the No Sein HaTorah. You're part of giving it over and I need you to be Muchrach. I need you to be in that state so they believe in you forever. And then he just has one other Chiddush and then he has the punchline. It wasn't only Moshe. There was one other person in history that also was on this level, that reached this level, that needed to be on this level, because Moshe didn't finish the job. And that was Yehoshua. Yehoshua ben Nun. There's only one time in all of Tanakh where the Torah says, where a Sefer says, Hashem el blank lemar. It says it all over the Torah. And it says it once in Sefer Yehoshua. That Lashon, the Rishonim point out, the Radak, that's, that's a Torah Lashon. And it's used by Yehoshua. You know why, says the Radak? Because there are a number of mitzvos that Yehoshua had to complete. There are a number of mitzvos that Moshe couldn't do. Are a Miklat. Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't designate the Are Miklat. Or describes, especially according to one of the days of the Tanoim, that, that Yehoshua Benun wrote the last day, Psukim of the Torah. The Gemara in Nedarim, he quotes, that tells us that had we not sinned, we wouldn't have the whole Jewish history. All we would have is Chamishi Chumshei Torah and Sefer Yehoshua. That would have been it. But Yehoshua is connected. Yehoshua is together. There's a Vav at the beginning of Sefer Yehoshua. Because it's connected. Says the Meshach now on the left side, top left, line 6. Hashem says to him, he gives him sivuyim that Moshe didn't have. Priya, the second half of the mitzvah of Mila. Yeshua ben Nun. Maybe that was Allah Moshe Bissinai, but it wasn't given over until now. Right, as it says. And that's the Gemara Nadarim. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu also had to bring Yehoshua up after he worked on himself. 
how to bring him up to the level that he was Nishlal Habakira. He doesn't say this, but one might even say that's how he understands the concept of Eved Hashem. Only two people, Moshe Rabbeinu and Yoshua Perak Aleph is called Eved Hashem. Yoshua, Perech of of Yoshua, is called Eved Hashem. And Eved Hashem is somebody who reaches that level. The level of being partners with HaKadosh Baruch Hu in giving the Torah. Because they've reached the level of being, they had Bechira, but they reached the level where, so to speak, they took it away from themselves. And one final point, and this is all an appreciation of Moshe Rabbeinu, as we're going to talk about for the next four books of the Torah. That's why Dafka, there were two biblical individuals that were able to stop the constellations. Moshe Rabbeinu, based on implicit illusions, and Yeshua Benun explicitly. Shemesh Begivon Don Bayarech Be'emek Ayalon, Yeshua Benun was the only one that forecast it. He said, tells the son, Shemesh Begivon Don, be silent, stop going. Be'yarech Be'emek Ayalon, he speaks to them. That's what the Navi says, it's never happened like that. But why Moshe, why Yeshua? Because they were the ones that are now above even the sun and the moon and the stars. They started off without Bechira. Yeshua and Moshe, they started with Bechira, but they've reached the level that they've removed their Bechira now, and that's an even higher level than the sun and the moon. Line 26. They have to do it, but Moshe and Yeshua didn't have to do it. They just brought themselves into that situation, and that's an even higher level. Okay, so that gets us started here in Sefer Shmos. We have the Dubna Magid, and we have the Meshachachma. Now we get to the first Pasuk. First Pasuk, the Eile Shmos B'nai Yisrael Haboi Mitzrayma. First time we have it, B'nai Yisrael. We are no longer a his, a history of individuals, we are now a history of a nation. We remember the individuals, and then we are going to transfer into the nation. Question is asked, what do you mean, These are the names that came to Egypt. Why is it in Lashon Hove? Why is it in present tense? In the hot off the press, new Rav Chumash that came out this week, Week and a half ago. Hot off the press. Mesoris Harav. So we'll quote two thoughts from Rav Salvechik's uh, Sefer. It's uh, in the front. It has a, uh, a um, Zecha Nishmas. The whole Sefer was put out in memory of Rabbi Tversky. So again, a lot of the Torah that we learned throughout from this volume will be Lezecha Nishmaso as well. So ask the Rav Salvechik, why present tense? So, said the Rav. Haboi Mitzrayimah. The Medrash notes, noted this anomaly and interpreted the intent of the phrase Haboi Mitzrayimah as if B'nai Yisrael had come that very day. Why? So, from whose perspective? Two opposite perspectives. Number one. The term Aboyim, line six, suggests that the people of Egypt did not consider the Israelite nation as part of their state, society, and culture. They looked upon them as if they had just entered Egypt. They had been there for hundreds of years. Yosef, if you don't remember, my fellow neighbors, was the one that saved this country. Look in the history books. Yaakov was the one that stopped the famine. And yet, strange lands have short memories. And Jews? Jews are strangers. Doesn't matter how long they have been in our country, they are not natives. They are not one of us. And we treat them as haba'im. We were treated as if we had just come, just gotten off the boat. How long must one remain in a country to be considered a citizen? The words of Paro to his advisors suggest. What is Paro saying? He considered B'nai Yisrael as having just arrived. Even the name, Ivri, completely separated. On one side, this belief in the otherness of the Jew repeats itself throughout history. Jews living in Germany. Jews lived in Germany even before the Dark Ages. Hundreds of years the Jews were in Germany. During the Middle Ages, the Jews supported Germany from within. They were an integral part of society. Yet centuries later, they were wiped out. 
How long have they been there? Hundreds of years. They were charged with being strangers, not counted among society. History repeats itself in all the different Galios. Next page. The essence of anti-Semitic doctrine throughout history always depicted the Jew as a stranger. In art, in music, in every, on every level, the Jew was different. They charge that we are strangers, Ivrim. We never assimilate ourselves into any community. We're outsiders. So on the one hand, Abayi Mitzrayimah is anti-Semitism and the roots of it. They treated us as Habayim. But on the other hand, one could also say, we looked at ourselves as Habayim, as we need to do. This goes a little against at the beginning of the Galus, at the end of Vayigash, beginning of Ayachi, Vayachazuba. They had an Achiza there, but we also know the Midrashim. Shaloshinu Ashmam, Shaloshinu Ashmabusham, Shaloshinu Ashlashonam. That they did keep their own identity in certain ways. Line 10. There are certain ideals to which a Jew is committed that can never be forfeited. There's a special relationship between God and the Jew, as well as a relationship between God and mankind in general. And when we're connected to Hashem, we can't be connected to the society around us. We need to remain Habaim. Paro charged that the Jew was uninterested in the welfare of the land. Paro was wrong. We were interested. And Yosef saved them. But we needed to have some gvulot. There were some red lines. When he said that Jews must abandon their identity and join a society whose ideals differ, the Jews removed themselves from society as if they had just entered Mitzrayim. When you cross the red lines, we can't be part of you. Habaim Mitzrayimah. And that is how a Jew always has to feel in Galus. Every country, everywhere. It's, it's Habaim. Habaim Mitzrayimah. From their point of view and from our point of view. So that's the first possible. So we continue now, moving right along. We have Parak Aleph. The origins of the final solution are right here, right? The uh, Paro trying to figure it out. A Melachadash comes onto Mitzrayim that did not know Yosef. He says, We have to deal with the Jewish problem. And they start working them very hard. Very difficult work. And Shifra and Pua, spoken in past years. Some beautiful thoughts about them. But let's go to Parak Bays now. So we have the birth of Moshe Rabbeinu and the three stories. He breaks up the fights between Jew and non-Jew, Jew and Jew, and then non-Jew and non-Jew as he comes to Midian. Moshe Rabbeinu comes to Midian. And what happens? He saves Yisro's daughters. Ulukoi Midian Sheva Banos, Vatavona, Vatidlana, Vatamalana Saratim. And Moshe Rabbeinu saves them. Here we go. Pasik Yurches. Vatavonel Reuel Avi, and they come to Reuel, one of Yisro's names. Vayomer, Madua Mihartin Bohayom. Why did you hurry today? Why did you come so quickly? Vatomarna, Ishmitsri Hitzilanum Yadaroim. There's an Egyptian man, he saved us. And Chazal assumed that Moshe heard this, or heard the report of it. Chazal, at least in one medrash, say that Moshe Rabbeinu should have protested. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not an Ishmitzri. I might look like an Ishmitzri, but I'm not one. And he was taken to task in contrast to Yosef, who was called an Ivri, and he kept that identity. That is one medrash. But there's another medrash that says that Moshe did not do anything wrong here, but it's an unbelievable secret about Moshe's way of looking at things. And we'll get to that medrash through the eyes of Rav Zilberstein in the Chashukei Chemed, one of his svarim on Meseches Erevin, on Dafnun Aleph. He has a, a very scary case, but it relates to our parsha. You know, Rav Zilberstein, posik in, uh, in B'nai Brak, son-in-law of Rav Yashiv, brother-in-law of Rav, uh, Rav Chaim Kenievsky, Tremendously prolific, his farm are coming out every week. You see another set of his farm. See, here we go. Shayla, this isn't such a halachal maisa shayla. It is a more of a hashkafic shayla. Shayla, maisa shit barsein. There was a maisa that became public. Lagabi ish yakar bal duchan payis, the Tel Aviv. 
Somebody worked in the lotto, one of those lotto little uh, huts. Shekarolo Reb Moshe. Let's call him Reb Moshe. And he went to work. He went to work. It was Tainus Esther. It was a Muktam. It was a Thursday. He was fasting. Okay. He brought a little thing of vafalim, of wafers. So when the fast was over, he had something to break his fast on. Right? Why do, why do we have to know it's a Muktam? Or else he would be in shul for Megillah Thester after the fast is over. So it's a Muktam. Purim was on Sunday. So on Thursday night, he was just going to break his fast. So he had a little wafers. Fine. On the way to his little hut, a homeless poor man comes over to him. He sees his little bag of wafers. He's starving. Can I, you have anything for me? So Moshe, he was a, he was a Jew. Take, take mine. I'll go, I'll run out by the end of the fast. I'll go to the local Makovat. I'll get something. Here, take my wafers. Good. Fine. Around the time that the fast was over, Ramosha runs out for five minutes to the Makovat down the street to buy a little food. And Rahman al-Islam at that very second, Ira Pitsutz Adir. It was a terrorist attack, Rahman al-Islam, right at the spot at the lotto. At the spot of the lotto. What happened? Rahman al-Islam, people were killed and injured, and he was saved. Nitzal bizchut chavilat avaflim. He was saved because of the wafers. The question, he wasn't asked this, but he says hashkafically. Does this Rav Moshe owe a debt of gratitude to that poor homeless man? Does he have to go search out for that homeless man and say thank you? He did him a favor. He didn't mean to do him a favor. But Lamaisa, he saved his life. That's the question. Says of Zilberstein, that's our Medrash. What's the Medrash? I think we mentioned this in a Haggadah Shir four or five years ago. The Medrash tells us right here. The Egyptian man saved us, says the Medrash Tanchuma. Moshe Rabbeinu looked Egyptian, maybe, but the Medrash says maybe there's another shot. You know what Ishmitsri means? Ishmitsri is referring to the Egyptian that Moshe killed in Egypt. Ishmitsri, that Egyptian man, saved us because he caused Moshe Rabbeinu to end up here because of Dasan and Aviram and Paro. Ishmitsri, he tzilanu miyad aroin. Mashal. La'echad shenashcha arod. Oh, mashal. There was somebody who got bitten by a, by an animal. And he runs to the river. He runs to put it, put soak his foot in, in, in water. He has a bite. He goes into the river. And while he's there, he happens to see a child drowning in the river. And he saves the child. And the child says, thank you, you saved my life. And he says, don't take me, thank the animal that bit me. That's the medrash. That's what the Benos Yisro told to their father. Benos Yisro to Moshe. The Benos Yisro told Moshe, thank you. Moshe says, don't thank me. Thank the Ishmitzri. Hitzilanu miyad haroin. Wakach armor lavuen Ishmitzri. Klomar. Migaram lazeh. Who caused this? The Ishmitzri caused it. Says of Zilberstein. Lechora, if that's the case. Lechora huadin, here too. Yishlomar. So if you have to thank the Ish Mitzri, you have to thank this this Ani. Maybe not. Maybe there's a difference. And there's going to be a message for us take home after this whole discussion. Maybe, and this is probably what it means, we don't literally assume that you have to go back to the Egyptian man and go to his kever and thank him. You don't have to, to take the arod and, and, and have him a special place in the zoo for the animal. What does it mean, Ishmitsri the arod? Ela kavana 
You have to realize, and we have to realize, that Hashem is behind cycles of events. Don't give me the credit. Not the Mitzri. Hashem, who caused the Mitzri. It's not that the Mitzri itself. That's what it means. Next page, line 5. Moshe was just saying, "Don't I just happen to be the right man in the right place at the right time?" That's what that's I. I'm very fortunate, says Moshe, but I shouldn't get the credit. And therefore. This Ani happened to be the tool that a Kaddish Baruch Hu used to save this man's life, while Rahman al and the other people weren't as fortunate. But a Kaddish Baruch Hu was Mizamein. Hashem brought the events together to put an opportunity of Tzaka in front of this man. He would do the mitzvah Tzaka, and Mimei would be saved. So it's really a Kaddish Baruch Hu, it's not the poor man. Similarly, we're familiar with this principle, Tzaka Tatsumimavis. We know this from the end of the Gemara and Shabbos. Shabbos Kufnun Vav, he quotes it. The story of Yerbi Kiva's daughter, who the astronomers, the fortune tellers said that she was going to die the day of her wedding. We all know the story, and Rabbi Kiva was very nervous, and that night, at night, she took off her brooch with a pin in it, and she stuck it in the wall. They didn't have drawers in those days, and the next morning they see, ah, it went right through a snake that would have bitten her. And Rabbi Kiva says, did he do anything yesterday? Oh my goodness, he was saved. And his daughter says, not much. Oh, there was an ani that came. Everybody else was busy with the wedding. I gave her my portion of food. Ah, Rabbi Kiva says, Stuck a tatsumi So, you have, to thank this. you have to thank that poor person? No. You have to thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu for giving us the opportunity. Put it into our lap to do the, to do the mitzvah. Good. But then Rav Zilberstein just adds in, what's our take-home message besides an Interesting discussion at the Shabbos table, but what's the take-home message for us? See, he ends up quoting a Chovas Halavavos. Chovas Halavavos, and he quotes on line 21. There's no Chiyav to be Makertov to the Onis, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I'm sorry, it's a Zohar, on line 28. But there's still room for something. Based on the Zohar. The Zohar tells us, See how compassionate Hashem is with His creations. Surely those who follow His path. Even when Hashem wants to judge the world. And even when He has Midas Adin against us, you know what He's going to do? Hashem's going to send an ani your way so that you do the mitzvah of tzedakah and then he's like, oh, I have to have Rachmanus. The Zohar tells us that whenever there's a chesed opportunity in front of us, we have to look at it as a direct message from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Hashem sent us this person in order to do the chesed, in order for us to earn zechuyos in Shamayim. So that Ani was a Shliach of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That Mitzri was a Shliach of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Okay. Moving right along. So we get to Hashem's first discussion, conversation with Moshe Rabbeinu. Now we get to Paragimel. We have the story of the Sneh. Story of the Sneh. Moshe says, what's going on? Asura nova eres, amara gadol azeh, madua lo yivara sneh. Vayar Hashem kisar leros, Hashem saw that he got Moshe's attention. Vayikra ilav elokim, the first words that Hashem says to Moshe are, Moshe, Moshe. Those are the first words. One of the four people in Tanakh who are called by their name double. Avram, Avram, Yaakov, Yaakov, Moshe, Moshe. This is the last one in the Torah. Next one is Shmuel, Shmuel. Moshe, Moshe, v'yar hineni, I'm here. Next, what's the next sentence that Hashem says? Take off your shoes. Altigrav halom, don't come closer. Where you are standing is holy ground. As the Chavetz Chaim says, wherever we're standing in life, that's holy ground. Okay. Why taking off the shoes? 
Why does Moshe have to take off his shoes? Why does Yeshua Binun, outside of Yericho, have to take off his shoes? Why do the Kohanim and the Beis HaMikdash have to take off their shoes? So one idea we've mentioned a number of years ago and one idea we have not. Let's review the one that we've mentioned and then see the new one. Source number eight is the one we've mentioned. I don't think we mentioned it from this Sefer, so we'll have Ain't Beis Medrash below Chiddush, the Sho'ol Meshif, quoted in the Sefer. Oh, I didn't write the name of the Sefer. I'm sorry, the Tiva Parsha. Tiva Parsha is the name of the Sefer. Alikut. And he quotes the Rav Yosef Shal Nathanson, the Sholom Meshif. He quotes another question, and that is, why is it that in the morning, there's a kavana that we have by each one of the Birchas HaShachar. Pokeach Ibrim, we focus on our eyes. Matir Asurim, Zokev Kafufim, we stand up, we put our feet on the ground. Mal Bisharumim, everything. Sha'asali called Sarki, shoes. That's what the post can say. When we say Sha'asali called Sarki, we should have Kavana, thank you Hashem for letting me put on shoes, for giving me shoes. And there's a whole Shiloh, do we say that on Tishabav? Do you wait to say that? Question in the, in Halacha. So, why? Why is that Sha'asali called Sarki? Says the Sholem I heard it originally in the name of the Shlach Kadosh, that it's based on the Kuzari. The Kuzari says, of Yudah Levi, that we know there are the four levels of being, four levels of creation. Domain Someach Chai Medaber. Domain, the inanimate objects, the rocks, the dirt. Then above those are the Chai, the living. What does living mean? Chai, plants, trees, plant kingdom. That's the next level up. Number three, chai, that's the animals. I'm sorry, I skipped one. Domain tzomeach, tzomeach, the growers. The growers, that's the plant life. Chai are the animals, they're alive. Plants aren't alive in the same way as, as animals are. Chai, and finally on top, midaber, the four levels of being. What does it mean that there's a pyramid of life? Explains the Kuzari that each level uses the level under them to exist and to serve the Creator. Trees grow in dirt. Animals eat trees. People eat animals. People use animals. That's the level, that's the pyramid. That's the Sefer Kuzari, that's Rabbi Yehuda Halevi. So now, says the Sholem says the Shlach Kadosh, when a person puts on shoes, that's a symbol of the human being on top of that pyramid of creation. Shoes, halachically, are made of leather. When I put on my shoes, that's a symbol of Hashem gives me everything I need. All animals, all plants, everything under me, I use to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that is why when I say the bracha of Sha'asali called Sarki, Hashem has done everything for me, I think of my shoes, because the shoes is symbolic of that whole pyramid that I am on top of. That's the bracha every day. But now we understand, says the Sholem when you're in a Makam Kadosh, you take off your shoes. Human beings don't have dominion here. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is in charge here. As a reflection of that acknowledgement, Makam Kadosh, we take off our shoes. Beis HaMikdash, we take off our shoes. Yom Kippur, we take off our shoes. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is in charge today. Even, he says, and this is new. This we didn't mention in the past. Avelus. Right? When a person's in Avel, they have to recognize that HaKadosh Baruch was in charge. Right? At this moment in time, man is not in control. So that, that din of Avelus also connects. Tishabav Avelus. It's about taking off the shoes because we recognize that HaKadosh Baruch was in charge. That's what he quotes towards the end. That's one idea why shoes are removed. Because it's a symbol of our shlita, and we don't have shlita in these areas. But there's another idea, and that's from the Nitziv in source number nine and ten. Says the Nitziv in the Hemek Davar. Says the Nitziv in the Hemek Davar. Look what I wrote by the mitzvah of chalitza which is the only mitzvah that we have in terms of taking off shoes. Yes, you're not allowed to wear shoes into the base of Mikdash, but it's not that the avoda inherently is as n- removal of shoes. right? You're not allowed to wear shoes. If you wear shoes when you're a Kohen doing the avoda, it passes the avoda. That's true. But there's no mitzvah that has part of the mitzvah is removal. The Yavama 
removes the shoe of the Yavam, that, that's what the word Chalitza means. Chalitza Sanal. What's the message of that? Every detail of Chalitza, one of the most, if not the most, unusual ceremony in all of Judaism, Chalitza, removing of a shoe and spitting and, and declaring some sukkim, but that just means we have to research it more to appreciate it. So the Nitziv gives us one little a window of understanding. And that is, it says the Nitziv, why do we take off our shoe? Let's read it, source number nine. This is the Hemakdaber and Kiseitse, and then we move over to the Hemakdaber and our Parsha. B'chal Sanava. Yadua Lakol. Sheyesh Pazed Dabar Sod Binyani Anefesh. It is known, as he quotes the Ramban and Parshas Vayeshev, by Yehuda and Tamar, the secrets of the mitzvah of Yibum, which Ashkenazim do not perform bismanazeh, going back many, many years, but the mitzvah of Yibum, as the Mishnah says in Bechoros, the mitzvah of Yibum, called them the mitzvah chalitza. In an ideal world, the brother would marry his brother's wife, and that is an ideal. That is continuing the, the seed of his, of his brother. And that comes first. But so what is what is the removal of the shoe? Ubi Arnu Baparsha Shmos line seven. Shahu have shatas teva haguf vahalichos derech eretz. Lios miyuchar la vodas hashem vilamolifanav. A shoe symbolizes me, symbolizes my my clothing, my symbolizes who I am. Removing something of me symbolically says, I'm removing what's on me to be one with Hashem. I have to remove my own ritzonos. What does it say in Pirkei Avos? Batel ritzon Nullify your own das, because HaKadosh Baruch Hu's ratzon is what has to be primary. I have to make my ratzon into Hashem's ratzon. A removal of a shoe the shoe symbolizes what I'm wearing, what I'm about, says the Nitziv. This is me. And when I don't have shoes on, it's just, symbolically, it's just me and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it's, I'm tr- it's trying to reflect that there's nothing separating me and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There's nothing personal of me here. I've removed that. Again, the removal of a layer. This is a layer of me on me, and I'm removing it to not have any chatzitzos to be connected to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's makum kadosh. I remove my shoes to symbolize my rutzon is not important here. I'm connected to you. By chalitza, what, ha- what do we say by chalitza? The man does not want to do yibam, which is really what he should be doing. So the woman takes off the shoe of the man, as if to say, you should have gotten over your own ratzon and done the ratzon of HaKadosh Baruch. That's why she removes his shoe. Sometimes, it's not so easy, and you have to be involved in your own Ritzanos. But the Yavam wasn't able to do it, line 17. He's not interested, because he didn't take off the shoe. That's why she takes off the shoe for him and says, this is what you should have done. But now we get back to our parsha. Moshe, Yehoshua, Kohanim, Yom Kippur. Do my Ratzon. Remove any of your own personal stuff and just be one with me. Right? And that's, one could even suggest that was the state of Adam and Chava, right? No clothes. Just them and HaKadosh Baruch Right? It couldn't exist like that once Chait came into the, world, into the world. But that was Adam and Chava, Kodem HaChait. Right? No, no shoes needed to be on. No clothes needed to be on. Okay. Moving right along. So Moshe Rabbeinu sees the snare. He takes off his shoes. Vayomer. What is Moshe's? We haven't gotten a reaction yet. So far we've said, what was Hashem's first conversation with Moshe? First he says, 
Moshe, Moshe, I'm here. That's Moshe's first words to Hashem. Then he says, don't come closer. Take off your shoes. Vayomer, and he says, I am Hashem, the God of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. What is Moshe's reaction? Vayaster Moshe mipanav. Moshe hides his face. He's scared. He's in awe of looking at Hashem. Moshe turns away. You would think, this is unbelievable. What's going on here? It's a Kodesh Baruch Hu. Why isn't the snap burning? He's looking at the snap. Moshe, Hashem says, it's me. Moshe turns away. Why? What, just when he finds out who Hashem is, he turns away? Why is that? Says the Gemara in Brachos. Back to the second and final thought tonight from the Rav. And this is a take-home, unbelievable thought into appreciating Moshe Rabbeinu. Very unique and creative. The Gemara tells us in Masechah's Brachas, he quotes it on Dav Zion. He quotes, according to Rabbi Yeshua ben Karcha, Moshe shouldn't have turned away. Why did he turn away for? Hashem's talking to him. Rabbi Yonasan says no. Moshe didn't want to look at the Shechina, which merited his becoming the greatest of the prophets. And that not looking at the Shechina was a great thing that he did. Ask the Rav, ask Rav Salvechik, why was it so great? Hashem's talking to him. The first time he's revealing himself to him, why did Moshe turn away? And why from that act, that itself, according to the Madrash, propelled him and saying, you're my man. You're my man. Says Rav Salvechik, as only he could say, the fire of the bush was burning. The infinite light called to him. The master of the universe waited. Yet Moshe's face remained hidden. Moshe turned away. The master of the universe was ready to reveal himself to Moshe in his true, absolute entirety. Moshe had the opportunity to experience all that was hidden, to understand with clarity the ways of God, justice, how Hashem leads creation. Moshe could understand everything. Tzadik Varalo, Rosh Vatovlo. Just keep looking. And Moshe turned away. Why? Why did he turn away? Line 15. Moshe was afraid that had he not turned away, he would lose the attribute of chesed, the feeling of empathy and love regarding his fellow. He was afraid to delve too deeply into God's attribute of justice because if he understood everything, he would recognize that in truth, there was no evil in the world. He would know that the pain man experiences is only for his good. Moshe Rabbeinu, he would realize there's no such thing as Sadik Viralo. It's all Tov. Moshe would understand all the secrets of creation. And were Moshe to understand that, he wouldn't be able to empathize. He wouldn't be able to feel bad for a fellow Jew. He wouldn't be able to dive into Hashem, take this tzara away. It pains me because it pains them. Were Moshe to see the world in his entirety, its entirety, death, Sickness, poverty, suffering, loneliness would all appear good with purpose and significance. And if he had this knowledge, he wouldn't be able to be the great leader that he would be able to become. So Moshe had the choice, says Rev Salvechik, to understand God to the fullest or to be there, to be a shoulder for people to cry on. That he could hear their pain and understand what they're going through. And put an arm around them and say, I'm so sorry. It hurts me too. Moshe chose the latter. Moshe says, I'll sacrifice some of my own divine spiritual understanding for the good of Klal Yisrael, for the good of a fellow Jew. Last line on the page. It's a little light, but I'll read it. Mercy and love have their basis in man's lack of understanding in his intellectual limits, in his childlike simplicity. The fact that we cry with our fellow Jew is because we are, we are just like them. We don't understand why bad things happen. Bad in quotes. We don't understand life. And that's what makes us able to be with them. And says Rav Salvechik, Moshe had the choice to pursue knowledge and lose chesed, or remain without knowledge and merit chesed. Last line. He chose the latter. So great was his love for Israel that he sacrificed the most sublime of human strivings, 
the knowledge of God. So this is one of the most sublime psukim in the entire Torah that we just read. Vayaster Moshe Panav. That was a conscious decision. He was scared he didn't want to because he wanted to continue to do chesed with his fellow man. Unbelievable. Okay, moving right along. Perik hey now. Perik hey. Towards the end of the parsha, after the bargaining, I don't want to go, go, I don't want to go, go. Finally, Hashem twists Moshe's hands and Moshe goes. And what happens? Moshe goes back to Mitzrayim. And Paro, let him out. Paro says, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know what nation you want. Vayomru perikei pasagimel. Right after Shavi'i. Vayomru Elohei ha'ivrim nikra aleinu. The God of the Ivrim. Let him out. What are these people doing? Get back to work. Says Rashi. Jews, go back to your work. You have a lot of work to do. Levi was not included in Shibud Mitzrayim. Rashi says it. I'll prove it to you. Moshe and Aaron, in and out and in and out, not a word. The Jews are being subjugated and killed and their babies are thrown into the river. Moshe and Aaron, free pass. Why? Rashi goes chazal. They weren't in the Shibud. It's the seventh year of the Shirim, so Baruch Hashem, it's finally a time we've discussed this question. We've never touched on it before. Why weren't they in the Shebud? We all know it. But why? Why wasn't Levi Meshubud in Mitzrayim? It's the Maharal's question. The Maharal on Rashi in the Gur Aryeh. Source number 12. Vim Tomar. Umayishna shifto sholevi. Shlonishtabi mikol sharshvatim. What made Levi different? The Maharal gives two pshatim, and we'll have a third. Says the Maharal, Yeshlomar dechsev kiger yezaracha, v'ilushiv tosho levi hayachelik gavoha. Shevet levi was holy. They were shevet gavoha. They were the truma. Ki Yaakov nasan osolamaiser kedisa bebechoros vayu hayahukula legavoha. This relates to, again, Hashem knowing beforehand Levi was going to take the place of the firstborns, but they didn't yet, but Hashem knew. Hashem knew. So, behind the scenes, Hashem had Levi not part of it because they were, they were holy. Okay, that's one answer. The problem with that answer, the Maral asks on himself is, well, Paro didn't know that. Paro didn't know they were holy. Paro wanted to subjugate all the Jews. So why did Paro let them free? He was a Russia. Line 10. The Afshar Yeshlomar, it's possible, says the Maharal. Kiparo Bishvil You know what? Paro was familiar with this prophecy that the Jews are going to be subjugated in a strange land, and he knew. He knew that that was him. But he knew the last line of the prophecy also. I'm going to take it out on that nation, though, also. Paro says to himself, you know what? Maybe if I leave some of them free, I'll help myself. He was a darshan. He was a London. Maybe if I leave some of the Jews out, not in a strange land, not subjugated, that would work well for me. Maybe that would work well for me, says the Maharal. That's suggestion number two. I'm sorry, he himself gives three, and then we'll add a fourth, or relate it to number three. Number three, line 20. V'yesh mefarshim, says the Maharal. Mipnei ki Yaakov, maybe this is related to number one also. Ki Yaakov ha'yanoi kavod b'shivto shalevi. Paro saw that Yaakov, who he was very impressed with, gave kavod to Levi. Wow. Ki lonasa Levi, aronosho Yaakov. Levi did not have to carry Yaakov's coffin, as we know, Menhash and Ephraim. But Paro, the, uh, Paro therefore followed Yaakov's lead and also were, was no he covered with them. That relates to answer number one. Maybe that's how he knew they were holy. But maybe one could suggest 
based on the final answer, a totally opposite answer, and I saw this in the Or HaTorah. The Or HaTorah is a safer written by Rabbi Uri Langer. It's a Rav in, uh, it's a shul, there was a shul in, uh, in New York. Uh, Chesed La'Avraham, it was Nifter in, the ni- in 1970. Safer, Or HaTorah, old Safer. He asked this question, and he gives the opposite, a different answer, but based on the same Chazal that the Maharal quotes. And that is something we touched on last week in Parshas Vayechi. The fact that Yaakov Avinu was carried up to Canaan was a slap in the face to Eretz Mitzrayim and to Parah. And we discussed last week, that's what Yaakov knew was going to be, and that's why he made Yosef swear about it. Because he knew, what's wrong with our land? That's why you're going back to Canaan. What are you doing? Can stay here. This is civilization. And yet they didn't. And yet they slept back and they carried their father back. All the Shvatim carried their father back. What a slap in the face to Paro. Only one Shevet didn't carry back. Shevet Levi. Shevet Levi didn't take part in the Aron procession. They didn't carry. Why? So Paro, according to the Maharal, oh, so Yaakov, he saw Yaakov gave them covet. Maybe he was mistaken and had a misimpression, suggests the Arha Torah. Maybe Paro thought, ah, there's one, at least one of those Shvatim believe in Mitzrayim. At least one of those Shvatim is in schlepping, schlepping their father. And they have to they went back because they have to go. It's their father. But there's one Shevet that I see deep down likes Egypt. And that's Levi. See, they're not even carrying their father. Ah, so I'm not going to subjugate them. And that's what he did on line 36. Why? Because, as Hakaris Atov, mistaken Hakaris Atov, so to speak, Pirate says, oh, you're giving covet to Mitzrayim, I'm going to give you covet as well. Okay, so three slash four answers to that question. Final thought for the evening. And this thought, I just want to... Uh, Dedicate L'Rafur Shalema, one of our, our listeners in the worldwide Parshashir listening area, L'Rafur Shalema, Beryl Yehoshua Halevi Ben Elisheva. Got an email from him recently. He needs a Rafur Shalema Bakarov, and his favorite is the Noam Elimelech. So, Rafur Shalema makes it in right here. Again, L'Rafur Shalema, Beryl Yehoshua Halevi Ben Elisheva, Rafur Shalema Bakarov. The Noam Elimelech asks a question that Chazal asks. And that's the last Pasuk. The last Pasuk in the Parsha. Not the last Pasuk, the last three Pasukim. What happens? Moshe and Aaron go, and things get worse. And things get worse, and the Jews are screaming at Moshe, and Moshe's thinking to himself, I, don't, I didn't want to come in the first place, I didn't want why you sent me, and he goes back to Hashem and complains about it. Vayashev Moshe el Hashem vayomar. Moshe goes back and says, Adoshem. Why'd you send me? I told you it was a bad idea. Moshe is telling Hashem, I told you so. That's what he's saying. From the time, and Chazal pick on this word, since I came to Baro to speak in your name, it's just been downhill. And you haven't even saved Am Yisrael. It's been terrible, Kaddish Baruch Hu. And Hashem says, okay, that's what you think. I have my divine plan. You're not going into Eretz Yisrael. Okay, connected to that. Says the Noam Melech. Maybe there's a, a hidden meaning to this Pasuk. Because after all, this is Moshe Rabbeinu we're talking about. Moshe Rabbeinu, who was chosen, who we sp- spent a lot of time earlier, the Meshachachma, Moshe's uniqueness. He just complained to Hashem, there must be something deeper here. Says the Noam Ali Melech, and I'll put his words into my own words. When was the last time that we really cried, not only when a tragedy happens, Ay Hashem, how is this happening to us? But we know Chazal tell us, Begalusa. The Shechin is also in Galus. When was the last time that a tragedy happened and we cried to Hashem, Hashem, what a terrible Chilul Hashem occurred today. Hashem, you must be in so much pain. Hashem, this must be so hard for you. Yokar Hashem, Somebody once came to the 
one of the Rebbes, and said, you know, I need this, I need that, I'm missing so much. So he says to him, why aren't you crying to me that you're also missing the base of Migdash? That doesn't bother you so much. Only that your own needs. What about the base of Migdash? You're not crying about that. Says the Noam Elimelech. Line four. We're in this terrible Golas. Hashem goes into Golas too. What does that mean? That means Hester upon him. That means the Jews are downtrodden. Do we ever think about God? Do we just think about us? If we'd ever think about the Shechina, you know what? Hashem would be Golas. Because if we recognize that he's also in pain... So then, that would be great for us. We would bring the Geula. Says the Noam Elimelech. That's what Moshe says. Look at the words. But what does Moshe say? Why has it gotten worse? I don't understand. Since I came to borrow. And you know what my Kavana is? My Kavana is for you, God. My Kavana is because this is your people. I want your people to come out and to get the Torah and to go to Eretz Yisrael. Yubishmecha! And look what's happened. It's gotten worse. Heira la'amazeh! And says Moshe Rabbeinu, says the normally Malach, you know how Moshe says, I'll prove it to you that I, I did this bishmecha. Because you know how sometimes when something really hits home, when the other person, when you're giving somebody tochacha, you're telling them something and they get really mad at you. You know, sometimes if you hit that chord of truth, then the person starts screaming. Right? When they're all calm and quiet. When the person starts screaming, you know you really got them and they become defensive. So says Moshe Rabbeinu, I came with Abba Bishmecha, you know what happened? Hey, Ralamazeh. Paro made it worse. That's how I know. I, I'm, that's how you know I, I'm true. That I'm talking and he doesn't want to hear about God. And that's how, when I mention you and I'm doing it for you, hey, Ralamazeh. So says Moshe, Lama, I thought, says Moshe, right when I have Kavana, that you're in pain, the ghoul is supposed to happen. And it hasn't. That's Moshe's taina. He's not just complaining. He's saying, Hashem, I focus on your pain. And still, this is what occurs. And he quotes at the end, that's David HaMelech too. David HaMelech tells us in Tehillim, Hashiva Lisa Son Echa. Return to me, the happiness of your salvation. Pirish Gaelotanu, redeem us, Vahashivenu Meol Artsenu. Return all of Am Yisrael to Eretz Yisrael with the base of Migdash. Kikal Kavanasi Eno Elolaman Sison Yishecha. It's for you. This is the message at the end of the parsha. Says the Noam Elimelech. We need not only to focus in Shmona Esrei on the Rifaenus and the Reeva Anyenus and the Slachlanus. But we have to focus on the Tkabishol for Gadols, the Ashiva Shoftenu, the Adi Valirushalayim Ircha, the Sechzena Einenu. And we have those Kavanas, says the Nomali Melech, in the words of Moshe Rabbeinu. If we cry for Hashem's pain, not just for our pain, so then Akarish Baruch Hu will surely redeem us, and Vahatselo Itzaltes Amecha, who Yatzil Es Amo. Hashem will continue next week. Baruch Hashem Ahaschala in Parshishmos.